HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's all about screens. We're diving into the world of TV, computers, and even VR to figure out how food consumption is shifted by a digital lens. Every course talks about a different topic within the Asian American identity through a very personal lens. And the three courses that are paired with VR, in it you're seeing a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that you're about to eat. Most of us in the world live in urban areas. And so how much is the city already accidentally providing its residents? And how much more could it provide if um, we just made a priority? Tune in to Meet and 3. HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Julie Resnick, co-founder of The Actual Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. I will be your host for season three of the Feed Feed podcast, a special series called What's on Your Table? Each episode, we will take a look at a specific country or region and talk to a few members of the Feed Feed community about the food, recipes, ingredients, and flavors that make up dishes that are always on their table. Today, we're talking all about Middle Eastern cuisine, and I'm so excited to be joined by Cassette Pasco, a Lebanese recipe developer, photographer, stylist, and mom of three, and blogger over at Cosette's Kitchen, who lives in Portland, Oregon, as well as Nadia Hubi, a Syrian-born recipe developer, food blogger over at Sweet Pillar Food, who shares easy, everyday Middle Eastern recipes with her readers. Nadia moved to the U.S. when she was one, grew up on the East Coast, and now lives in Los Angeles. Nadia is also a mom of three. Thank you so much for both joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. 
Awesome. So I think we're going to jump right in. And Cosette, I wanted to start with you. Um, I know you grew up in Pennsylvania with your brother and sister, and your dad was a chef and your mom loves to cook. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what it was like in your family growing up in Pennsylvania? Did you help out in the kitchen a lot when you were growing up? Did you like to cook? Did you like to bake? Um, anything you can tell us about your family's history and how food was central to your family uh, culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, my parents both immigrated from Lebanon in 1979. So exactly uh, the year that I was born. Um, and we early on when my parents first immigrated, my father worked in restaurants. Um, he was a trained chef and you know, at the time early on, it was just my mom and my brother and sister kind of, you know, my, my dad worked late. So it was really us, you know, kind of surviving. Um, and food was the thing that always brought us back together. Um, over the years, my dad worked um, again in restaurants and then eventually opened his own businesses and restaurants. Um, he owned a pizza shop for many years. Um, and that was just kind of a central place for us to, to come together for food. Um, and then in addition, on the weekends and evenings, uh, family dinners were extremely important. Uh, our, as myself and siblings, we were kind of always expected to be home uh, in the evenings, enjoying dinner, um, and especially on Sundays where we would have large uh, lunches generally versus dinners um, and just really gather around the table. Um, recipes were always passed along from my mom and my father, both of them. Um, my mom tended to be the bigger cook in the household, um, as my dad, you know, ran the pizza shop. Um, and, you know, just over time, you know, I would help her, you know, whether it was peeling garlic or rolling grape leaves, um, just kind of learning all the, the basics of food from, from my mom, especially early on. Um, and then later on down the line, um, I got more into baking, honestly. Um, my uh -huh. father used to make cakes for all of our birthdays. Um, so we would always have a special cake that he would make. And I started to, over the years, take the reins of that. I learned to bake. I learned to use, you know, piping bags and tips and um, started to decorate cakes and things um, from my father's influence as well. So, yeah, so kind of a varied, you know, mixture of, of influence from both my mom and my, and my dad. I love that. And what were some of the dishes that you all would make together sort of time and again? I know you said you would have big family lunches on Saturdays. What could we expect to see on your table? Yeah, so um, kind of our, our Sunday lunches were always definitely more traditional foods. Um, you know, we would have baked chicken, um, tum, which is a, a garlic sauce. We would have dishes, uh, fatouche, especially in the summertime or tabule, um, you know, all with using the fresh garden herbs. Um, probably my favorite dish is gibbe and gibbeneye specifically. Um, and gibbeneye specifically is actually a, a raw seasoned meat. Um, and that you, has, it's mixed in with some burgal as well, or bulgur, as uh, we say mm -hmm. in America here. Um, and it is, it's almost the equivalent of a tartare, but in, in a, a Lebanese version. Um, and we would have that, um, you know, just 
a, a very full table of lots of different dishes. Maybe there might be grape leaves. There'd always be hummus and lebne, um, pita bread, um, just kind of a, a full table that you can kind of mix and match all different dishes together. Sounds really <laughs> yummy. <laughs> I'd love to be invited to one of those lunches. Um, all right. And so Nadia, how about you? What was it like growing up in New Jersey? What were some of your, um, you know, early memories of food um, that was served at your family dinners in New Jersey? Were you active in the kitchen as a child? Did you cook and bake a lot? Or did you come to that later in life? Um, I'm kind of, uh, kind of the opposite of Cosette. I, I sort of came to it a little later in life. Um, although my mom is a huge cook, uh, my dad likes to cook too, although their cooking styles are so different. My mom's more like traditional and my dad is like more creative. So he's like, this isn't hard. You just put the system together. And um, so I definitely grew up and I didn't realize how lucky I was, but I grew up with a ton of really good food. Um, Similar to Cosette, I, um, you know, our, our family life was very much centered around food. Mm-hmm. So we had what my dad called family meetings every morning at 6 a.m. And we had a huge breakfast, um, which included, you know, all sorts of eggs and fulim dammas, which is the fava beans, but they kind of mashed them with olive oil and, and tomatoes, um, something called fete, which is... Um, like pita bread and then uh, chickpeas on top of it and like a tahini yogurt. So really lots of food. And now that I have three kids, I'm like, I don't know how my mom did this every single day. And that was just breakfast. Um, you know, and then lunch and dinner were just as elaborate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was more um, on the sidelines enjoying eating it. <laughs> um, not so much participating, which I feel really bad now. I'm like, I don't, why didn't I help her? But um yeah, I came to it a little later in life, actually, not until I was married and I moved cross country from New Jersey to LA. And uh, even though I'd lived on my own before, but somehow I was close enough to home where I managed to get by. Right. But when I moved cross country, I was like, oh no, I, I really have to figure this out. Um, and then I came to realize that it was actually really fun, not that hard, not that intimidating at all. Um, Although baking still intimidates me 100%, but, but food and cooking, um, you know, I really love, it's such an expression of art for me. And, um, and I, and I actually get peace when I cook, which is really crazy. Cause so my three kids are still little, but you know, and they're like running around and crazy as long as they're not like being so demanding, I, uh, I can actually find some, some peace in cooking, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of how uh, food was in our family. I love the tradition of the the family meeting and and the breakfast um, that your dad, you know, ha- you know, instituted in your family. Is that a Syrian tradition, or is that something that was just he came up with that? And um... Um, well, he came up with a you know, he called it a family meeting. Like we yeah. weren't allowed to be late. Like we had to be there on time. And he <laughs> treated it like a real meeting. Um, but food for sure is something that's very important in Syrian culture. I think similar to Lebanese culture and, and kind of throughout the Middle East. Um, I think food is, is very much a central part of most people's day. Um, but the, the, the idea of like waking up every single morning and having a meal together at six was definitely my dad's doing. 
I love like, that. I try to implement that now and I'm like, I'm lucky if I can do that on <laughs> Sunday, let alone every day. Good luck. Well, maybe as your kids get a little older, it'll be, <laughs> right. it'll be easier. Um, awesome. So, um, Cosette, I'm wondering, um, you know, we have obviously been brought, you know, together through social media and, um, you know, I'm wondering how social media has helped you over the years connect with other Middle Eastern and Lebanese uh, bloggers and chefs. And, you know, do you get a lot of inspiration from, um, you know, other cooks on social media? Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, Nadia and I, Nadia and I met obviously through social media. Um, we have met in real life as well. Um, but it, there's a, there is a certain connection. And I think that that's true of just social media in general, and especially in the food industry, you, you really find um, people to connect with and find, um, you know, a niche within this huge community. Um, but yeah, especially in the, um, the Arab, you know, bloggers, um, there's only so many, um, you know, they're and, and really spread out throughout the world, um, not just here in the United States, but it's, it's a good way to, to see how other cultures, um, you know, I'm obviously from Lebanon, Nadia from Syria, um, you know, just looking at all the different countries and how one dish can be varied in so many different ways, um, just from, you know, crossing a country line. Um, and a lot of that comes down from tradition, you know, how their grandparents made it or how their parents made it. Um, and, you know, different techniques, perhaps. Um, so it, it is really interesting to to watch other bloggers um, and recipe developers put their, you know, their own family traditions on different dishes and connect with them about that. Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring up um, kind of one dish and how it varies from, you know, country to country and even region to region um, within some countries. Can you give us an example of a dish where you've seen that, you know, become quite evident? The variation. Um, I think probably one of um, the biggest ones that I off the top of my head is falafel. Um, you know, falafel's become very popular, I think, throughout, not just in the Middle Eastern culture, um, but all through the U.S. Um, but, you know, there's so many different variations and techniques and um, spices and, you know, ways that, you know, maybe a parent or a grandparent taught one of us how to make it to make right. it, you know, quote unquote, the perfect falafel. Um, so really just looking at that and how vastly different that can be just among the different countries and regions is, you know, that's, that's a huge one that I can think of right now. Nadia might know more too. <laughs> no, I was actually going to say that's a good one because um, I didn't even realize until recently that um, like Egyptians, for example, make falafel completely different than Syrians and Lebanese, and they use fava beans and garbanzo beans, whereas um, I think the Syrian and, and Lebanese um, is more cilantro-based and garbanzo beans, so it looks more green on the inside. And so it is actually, that, that's a good one, Cosette, because it is very different. And, and actually, Nadia, my, my dad makes it with both garbanzo and um, fava beans. Oh, does he? <laughs> so even again, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so, I mean, again, I think just family to family, um, right. you know, just right. different, different, different ingredients right off the bat right there. Right. So true. And actually, I also recently learned, um, for example, there, there's a lot of um, like history that's involved, too. So Libyan food, which I actually didn't know much about at all, but they were um, they were influenced by the Italians. So they have a lot of pasta in their food, whereas you don't see that so much in some of the other parts of, of the region. And then like the Gulf region has a lot of like rice dishes Um you know, that's influenced more by like the Indian and, and the Persian. So it's just so fascinating, I think, to see all the variations, which kind of tells a story of history. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I know Nadia and I actually talked about it. Um, even Greek, Greek and Cypriot food actually is a lot closer to Lebanese cuisine than even some other um, Arab countries. Um, truly, right. like the, the similarities between Greek and Cypriot food is so vastly close um, that, you know, it, it really pays. It, it's really interesting to kind of see how, because there, I mean, there's obviously close in distance too, but there's right. so much similarity between those cuisines. Yeah. And also, I noticed that um, occurs um, just based on what they grow, right? So if you look at um, you know, what the farms and, you know, just even in home gar- gardens and what grows well um, in a certain area, often that, you know, has a big influence on, um, you know, the dishes and the way that, um, you know, different countries make different dishes. Um, so I'm, I'm also curious um, if you, you know, we talked a little bit about social media and making connections with other bloggers and chefs and, you know, just home cooks. Um, Nadia, who are some of the accounts that you would want our audience to take a closer look at, um, maybe Syrian or Middle Eastern, um, you know, that we should be following if we're not already? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, there's 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 a ton, but they're not that many at the same time. Um, right off the top of my head, I think of my Good friend who I've actually never met in person, uh, but May from Almond and Fig. She mm-hmm. does a really wonderful uh, job of, you know, everything she posts. She, she also tells a really beautiful story behind it, too. Um, so Almond and Fig is, is one. Hungry Paprikas um, is, a, is a girl from Canada, but originally from Iraq. And I don't know too much about Iraqi food, actually, before her and... And I, I'm actually fascinated to see the similarities in between um, Syrian food and Iraqi food. So she has really beautiful photography and some great recipes. Um, Cook with Dina is, is another one. She does like real traditional meals, um, like really big pots and lots of food. Um, so she's she has like really great videos that you can follow and kind of see how she, she makes what she does. Um, there's a ton. I can definitely message you after. There's, there's yeah, so that'd be great. Yeah, and cause that. How how about you? Who should we be following if we're not already? 
Uh, well, May, May was the first person that came to my <laughs> mind that Nadia already said from Almond and Pig. Um, if, you know, she she's truly um, extremely authentic and really tells that story um, of her Palestinian roots. Um, so again, I'm just going to repeat repeat that one again. Um, and then another one, Feel Good Foodie, um, who's a, another Lebanese blogger, um, Yumna, um, and she she kind of. Definitely does some traditional um, cuisine, but tries to make it very simple um, and easy to follow, um, integrated with some other just kind of basic dishes um, to serve to your family. Um, uh, Omaya uh, Atasi is another account. Um, She shares Syrian recipes, who, again, um, does a great job, I think, of sharing the culture and the background behind. um, And then... Yeah, I'm trying to, off the top of my head, uh, Hummus Meets Pizza is another one, Fatima. Um, she's also another Lebanese blogger um, that kind of shares some simple dishes as well as kind of local cuisines. Um, and then Lena from The Lebanese Plate, who is based in Australia. She's another one that, um, again, comes to mind who really takes the authentic dishes, but also shares some simple dishes to kind of help, um, you know, new cooks learn um, their way around Middle Eastern cuisine. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. So, Cosette, I'm curious, when you are thinking of recipes that you want to share with your readers on your blog and on social media, um, where do you start? What, what's your process? So, first things I think about um, are what have I recorded from my own family um, and dishes that kind of come to mind from childhood. Um, and I, I share as much as I can with that. Sometimes sometimes it's almost a little intimidating to share those recipes, especially if they are a little more complicated, um, where some, some Arab recipes tend to have layers and, um, you know, very time consuming. So, if I can't share something that is um, a traditional dish, I try to, you know, make it a little simpler. I think for the the home cook, um, and maybe a, a slight variation to that. Um, so an example would be, you know, uh, looking at gusa, which is a stuffed um, zucchini, and maybe perhaps instead of having people hollow those out, uh, which is a pretty time consuming and delicate process to stuff, mm-hmm. um, maybe, you know, having, having folks slice them in half and doing them almost more as boats versus, um, kind of the traditional way. So, yeah. um, kind of going with those traditional dishes. Um, but I also, you know, I grew up in the States, um, and was 
brought up with obviously the the Lebanese influence and with food and the language. Um, but I grew up here. So there are a lot of dishes that I enjoy um, that might not fall exactly into our culture, but I try to incorporate different flavors um, that are reminiscent of our culture and incorporate them into some common dishes. Um, and just to, to give that, you know, Middle Eastern flair or twist um, and a little easier for a home cook, perhaps. That's great. Um, and I know you have three kids. How old are your kids? Um, my oldest is 12. Um, my, she's a, my daughter. And then I have a middle daughter that's 10. And my son is um, eight. Oh, that's really close to me. So my yeah. oldest <laughs> daughter is 13. And then my middle daughter is 12. And my son is eight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's busy, you know, yeah. busy times. <laughs> so do you cook a lot with your kids at home? Uh, my middle daughter definitely enjoys cooking and baking. Um, she is pretty good and she'll go through a recipe completely on her own, um, you know, with, with pretty little guidance. My son, he likes it. Um, maybe not quite as much as her, um, but he likes to help, especially with baking. Um, and then my oldest, wants absolutely nothing to do with it besides, <laughs> besides the eating, um, which she enjoys and she loves good food, um, but good. she just kind of waits until dinner's ready and, <laughs> and that's about it. Um, that's awesome. Um, so Nadia, I'm wondering if we were to open up your pantry um, and your fridge and your freezer, what are the three things that we might you know, always find in your pantry, in your fridge, in your freezer that are sort of tried and true ingredients um, that you use time and again in your cooking? Um, I feel like for sure onions and garlic are mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the two things that I always start almost every recipe with. Um, and it's crazy because my father-in-law doesn't like both, which is very un-Middle Eastern of him. <laughs> but uh, so it's like hard to cook when he's around. But um, onions, garlic, lemon, those are all definite um, items in my pantry. And then in my fridge, well, I always have milk because of my kids. They get like <laughs> a gallon a day. Um, but I, I always have some sort of meat um, in my freezer. I don't actually stock up a lot um, in my freezer. Um, I like to kind of just use everything fresh. So I'll go, I, I go to the grocery store very frequently pre COVID. I think I was there way too often, but I like to just kind of get what I need and use it right then. Yep. Um, and I have been using, uh, lately I've been using a lot of, uh, bulgur, uh -huh. my cooking. So that's been something that I've been purchasing a lot more of. For the most part, um, when I'm making a recipe or when I'm trying to cook something, I I want to make sure that I'm not getting something from like the really ethnic supermarket. So yeah. if I can find it at Trader Joe's, I like that because yeah. I know that's more accessible to everybody and myself. Yeah. Um, and then tahini is another one that I have. I use yeah. that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and your blog is all around sharing easy, everyday Middle Eastern foods. So it makes sense that you want to shop at places like Trader Joe's so that your readers can easily find the ingredients right. that you're including in your recipes. Yeah, exactly. 
How about you, Cosette? What what could we find in your pantry and your fridge and your freezer all the time? Um, so I'll piggyback what Nadia said, because those are all huge staple ingredients, especially onions and garlic. So like she said, every, every meal starts with that. Um, and I think in addition to that, um, you know, as far as spices are concerned, um, mm-hmm. some spices that are pretty common in, in our cuisine. Um, I use a lot of allspice. I'll use a lot of mixed spice um, and also sumac. Um, that is a, another great ingredient. Um, and as far as fridge, uh, yogurt, we, I actually, I make, I make my own yogurt um, 90% of the time, um, unless I, you know, run out of time, but generally there'll always be a container of plain yogurt, um, and then also lebne, which is mm-hmm. the strained thicker yogurt. Yeah. Um, so those are always staples in, um, in the fridge in our house. Um, and then as far as freezer is concerned, um, I do tend to keep, you know, some more freezer, uh, meats and things in the freezer, uh, chickens, a big one that we pretty much have quite regularly. Um, and then also spinach. I, I like to incorporate a lot of spinach, um, and, using, um, you know, more inexpensive cuts of meat, um, is a lot of how I think Middle Eastern cuisine is built. You know, you have your onions, your garlic, you might take, you know, a piece of just petite sirloin that didn't cost very much and cutting it into really small pieces, um, and letting it cook down to soften, Mm -hmm. um, and then adding vegetables, um, and, you know, spinach, uh, which is spinach and rice is a big dish, that we make um, that, you know, really cost pennies because you're making some rice, you have, you know, a bag of frozen spinach, because right. it goes a little bit further, and a very inexpensive cut of meat. And you have this meal that tastes incredible and, you know, homey. And, it you know, you could feed, you know, 20 people with it um, for a very fraction, fraction of the cost of, you know, going out and enjoying the same dish. So... Yeah, I love that. Also love that you brought up making your own labneh. I make my own too every week. And, um, you know, I think people don't realize how easy it is just to take yogurt and strain it over to the cloth and <laughs> oh, yeah, put it in the yeah. fridge. Um, so true. <laughs> but um, we're spreading it on everything these days and um, really enjoying it. I'm, I'm wondering, how has the pandemic changed how you shop? Because that, do you... <laughs> Still frequent the grocery store, or are you ordering, you know, huge amounts of food online? Um, how has it shifted your behaviors? Yeah, um, well, kind of like Nadia. I mean, I when kids were in school and I had a lot more freedom, if you will, um, <laughs> I would go to the store probably every day, um, mm-hmm. almost if, even for one or two things. And now, um, since March, actually last Friday or two Fridays ago was the first time I stepped foot in Trader Joe's um, since, since the pandemic. Um, so I've been doing a lot of grocery pickup, mm-hmm. um, and, and yeah, it, it really has shifted and changed, especially early pandemic, yeah. um, where I was, you know, going back to like, okay, what's in the fridge, what's in the freezer, um, and really prepping. If I did go to the grocery store, making sure everything was washed and wrapped properly. So there, there was such little food based, um, and I can't say that that is exactly how it is now. I mean, I, I feel like we kind of fell back into some some old habits, um, but you know, overall, it, it's it has it has shifted how how I cook. Um, just really, again, trying to use what we have in our pantry and fridge and freezer before 
making a trip or ordering more groceries. Yeah, I found the same thing too. Um, it's, it's actually nice, I think, to, you know, not feel so, um, I don't know. I used to just feel like I had to go to the grocery store all the time. Like I didn't know what I would want to make for dinner and I was working all day. And then if I had to go out to pick up the kids from, you know, an activity or the babysitter was bringing them home, I would ask to pick something up on the way, you know, if I felt like chicken or, um, fish or steak. And it was sort of like, well, what am I in the mood for today? And I feel like Uh that just has totally changed. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I actually kind of like it. I feel that I, I'm actually thinking about, you know, food and what I'm cooking based on what I have available. And I'm not spending so much time back and forth to the grocery store or to the fishmonger or, um, you know, to another local shop that I love to go to. I still do go to those places, but I buy and then, you know, kind of make do with what I get throughout the week. Yeah. And I I completely agree. (laughs) It's been a, it's been a good lesson too, for the kids. I think, you know, we had sort of access to, you know, just, yeah, sure. Let, well, we ran out of that. Let's go, you know, let's make sure to get some tomorrow. I mean, I can't tell you how often, I don't know if you both are saying the same thing, but I'm saying like, we don't have that and we'll get it yeah. soon. Right. I'm not sure when, <laughs> and I'm not going out today to get it right now. Right. So <laughs> let's, you know, why don't you have some grapes, you know, because we don't have any more, um, I don't know, cheddar bunnies. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, it's a little bit given me license to say, we're going to work with what we've got and we have plenty of food and let's just be appreciative of yeah. what we have at how, at our house right now. Right. Uh-huh. So, um, Cosette, I know that you used to be a teacher and, um, now you have your kids who've been at home and, you know, they, they went through, um, you know, school at home in the spring? Are they, are they back in school or are they home? Are they at home now still? No, they're still at home. So, um, Oregon, at least in Portland, um, our school district is hundred percent virtual, um, throughout at least the beginning of November. Um, it, my guess it will probably be most of the school year. So nope, we have three kids that are on, you know, three computers okay. all in different, meets and um, my husband's also working from home full time. And uh, we just moved um, like three weeks ago in the middle of a pandemic. So it's been a, it's been a little crazy. Um, And yeah, and just, just adjusting to kind of a new life altogether. Yeah. And so what kind of advice do you have for parents who are home and, you know, aren't, as comfortable as you are, say, in the kitchen, and they've really struggled, and now their kids are back at virtual school, and, you know, they're having to make food and, you know, have food at the ready for three meals a day plus snacks. Are there any kind of tips or suggestions you have for parents who are also maybe both working and, um, you know, getting food on the table is kind of a bigger struggle, I think, for a lot of people now than it ever has been? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's 
you know, if you're able to do some meal planning at the beginning of the week or, you know, over the weekend and including your family in those choices, um, especially if you, kind of, if you have older kids, I mean, I consider my kids on the older side where they can help make those decisions about what they want to have that week. And, you know, kind of, as you spoke about Julie, really making do with what we have to say, you know, Hey, we have some chicken in the freezer. We have some meat. Like, do you guys have any suggestions or are you hungry for something? Um, and planning those meals out, um, can make it a lot easier. Um, whether you cook them over the weekend and just portion them out for the week. Um, or if you have the time, obviously during the week, um, and just making sure you have the ingredients, whether you do one grocery pickup and making sure everything's on hand. So we're not doing that scramble, like, Oh, I need to run to the store cause I don't have an onion. Um, <laughs> just planning that. Um, my kids, my kids are pretty self-sufficient on breakfast and lunch at this point. Um, but making a list of different different options that they have, um, whether it's, you know, choosing a leftover or uh, different types of sandwiches they can make, um, you know, just really kind of including kids in those choices, especially if they're school age. I think they're all pretty uh, capable of making those kinds of choices and thinking about maybe what their school lunches used to look like. Um, how can we replicate that? Uh, I think just really getting kids involved in it is you know, maybe at first might be a little overwhelming and you want to control it, but really giving them choices, they'll, they'll tend to make good ones. Um, my kids will always include some kind of veggie or, you know, make sure they have some fruit with it. Um, and they, they do a pretty good job. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And how about you, Nadia? Your kids are little. Remind me how old they are. Um, so Isla is seven. She just turned seven a few weeks ago. And then the boys are three and two. So they're, they're not very self-sufficient yet. I'm listening to Cosette and I'm like, one day. <laughs> one day. <laughs> um, and I've seen you, you, you know, they there. definitely love to eat your kids. I've seen them show up in your Instagram stories. And um, how about helping in the kitchen? Does your daughter like to help you cook and bake? Yeah, she used to love it when when she was younger, probably like five and younger. That was all she wanted to do was bake. Um, but then I realized that it's just because she loves sugar so much. That I thought <laughs> it was actually baking. But now she's um, she'll help out, but she's like, I just want to eat the cookie at the end. But my boys are um, they're in that stage where they want to mix everything. Mm-hmm. They want to get flour everywhere, and they want to touch. They want to eat the chocolate chips. Um, so yeah, they're they're definitely. I don't know if they're helpful, but they're in the kitchen. <laughs> I remember those days; they're fun. Yeah, they're <laughs> and messy, and definitely messy. <laughs> right, definitely very messy. Okay, great. Well, I have one last question for you both before we we wrap it up today, um, and that is, you know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time looking at your blogs and the delicious recipes that you make. If there's sort of one recipe that you would recommend that the listeners here, you know, when they head over to your blogs, that they make as sort of maybe they haven't um, made anything, um, you know, whether it's Syrian or Lebanese or Middle Eastern, you know, what would be a good entry point recipe for someone who is kind of just finding their way around the kitchen and doesn't have a ton of experience making Middle Eastern cuisine, what would you recommend? 
Um, I think for me, I would probably say, um, I think because I make it so often, but Syrian meatballs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the meatballs, it's all very easy. And besides the pomegranate molasses, which I think you can find anywhere now, yep. um, everything is pretty easy to find and, and pretty basic. But it's basically a bulgur um, meatball, and then it's cooked in a, a tangy kind of pomegranate molassesy. Um, onion tomato broth and then it's served with either the traditional vermicelli rice or just regular white rice and I just my kids love that and I love it just as much so it's, it's good for kids and adults and it's very easy to make like probably less than a half an hour yeah it sounds delicious yeah I'll have to make that soon and how yeah. about you Cosette Um, I think as far as a, a meal, um, and I, one that I actually spoke about just a little bit ago is um, spanagores, which just translates to spinach and rice. Um, and it is probably one of my kids' favorite meals. It is super simple. Um, it's obviously made with rice on the side and the you know, Lebanese rice includes the vermicelli noodles um, and the meat again could be any cut of very inexpensive meat um frozen spinach and um just adding some water broth some seasonings and then topping with lemon um it's an extremely wholesome well-rounded meal and you know again can be made in just a matter of you know 20 25 minutes with no problem yeah it sounds delicious and perfect for midweek or even, you know, as a dish that shows up among many on a special weekend occasion. Um, Well, I wanted to thank you both for taking time out of your busy days. I've really appreciated talking to you both and hearing a little bit about your histories and um, the food that shows up in your homes and also um, that you enjoyed as children, um, you know, under your parents' roofs. So thank you so much for joining us on the Feed Feed podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Awesome. So thank you for listening. To learn more about the food and discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure and follow us on Instagram and please follow our guests as well. If you have a food story to tell, or you want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, or chef about a specific country or region and its cuisine, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.